This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for March 3rd, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today we come to the third Sunday of Lent. We're halfway through Lent. Can you believe that? Sorry, halfway over. Um, and if you're like me, as you've been wandering through the wilderness of your own sin, one of the things that you've discovered is that the sins aren't hard to find. Um, that there are lots of them that you can pick up. And actually, those are probably the ones that don't cause you the most trouble. The most difficult sins to deal with are the ones that we don't see, the ones that we pretend aren't sins or that we don't even recognize. And, and the worst of those is pride. Pride is the chiefest of the seven deadly sins because it's from pride that all other sin really springs. And pride is that you know ability to think that somehow or other we are in charge and accomplish things. And, and we've gotten so far from the way God really intended for us to be that we don't necessarily even see pride as a bad thing anymore. You know, we can use it in good ways. People say, you need to be proud of your work. Or, you know, I'm proud of my family. But again, all those focus back on me and what I've accomplished and what I've done. And when we begin to see the world from that perspective, then we are certainly on the road to death. Let me give you an example from today's um, Old Testament lesson. In today's Old Testament lesson, you heard the story as read as it happened, but I want to give you sort of a paraphrase of it of what it must have been like when Moses went home. Now, you have pictures. Moses has been, um, uh, he, he has been a prince of Egypt, lived in Pharaoh's house, one likely to succeed Pharaoh, but he was one of the royal um, entourage that lived there, lived good, the good life. And he was out one day, and he saw a guard beating a Hebrew slave. And so he killed him, which is a capital offense. And so he knows that if, if you know, they come to him, he's going to be executed. He's not that high up that they wouldn't execute him. And so he runs away. And as he runs away, he runs out into the desert, because quite honestly, if you're in Egypt, there's really nowhere else to run away to. And so as he runs, he gets out there, and you can imagine he really wasn't prepared for this excursion. And so, you know, he begins to look more and more for water, and he gets thirstier and thirstier and hungrier and hungrier, until finally when he thinks he can't go any further, he happens to stumble upon, um, in the Sinai Peninsula, the, this oasis. And there's a pond there. And as he gets there, he notices there are a bunch of women around the pond. And he looks, and there's this one particular woman he recognizes, and he looks at her, and she gazes at him, and... There's twinkles in both of their eyes, and, you know, they make that contact, and the violins strike up, and everything's really good, and he says, hey, baby, what's your name? Um, and it's, her name's Zephora, and lo and behold, what does she do? She takes him home to meet her daddy, and you know, anybody know what his, her daddy's name is? Jethro, isn't that a great name? <laughs> Meet my daddy Jethro. So Jethro takes him in. He marries Zephora and goes to work for Jethro. Jethro owns a lot of herds of sheep, and, and that's his job now. He's a sheep herder. And he goes out into the wilderness, out into the desert, and kind of guards the sheep while they find stuff to graze on, which isn't exactly the most exciting of jobs. 
Um, and so one day he comes home and he, you know, Zephora greets him and says, Hi, honey, how was your day? And he said, Well, it was interesting. That's not something you usually hear from a sheep herder. She goes, What do you mean it was interesting? He, he says, Well, I, w- I was out, you know, doing my thing with the sheep and all, and I looked over and, 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 and I met God. Now you can imagine she puts the dishes down that she's working on and turns around and says, You met who? I met God. You met God. He says, yeah. She said, honey, did you take your water with you today <laughs> in the desert? Yeah. Let me come here. I want to see if you're dehydrated. Yeah. He said, no, I'm fine, but I met God. She goes, okay, you met God. What does God look like? A bush. You met God and he looks like a bush? Well, he was on fire, but it didn't consume the bush or anything. She goes, oh, well, that makes a lot of difference. So she's beginning to try to figure out what she's going to do because her husband's obviously gone off the deep end. He's talking to bushes. And um, so she says, okay, honey, well, what did God want? He wanted me to take off my shoes. He wanted you to what? Take off my shoes. Now, remember, where, where is Moses? Where, though? Outside where? Mount Sinai. But where, where, what does the terrain? Desert. What happens if you take off your shoes in the desert? It's hot. <laughs> it's really hot. And so she said, you met God, and he wants you to take off your shoes. And you honestly think this was God? He goes, well, that's not all he wanted. But he said to take off my shoes because I was standing on holy ground. She goes, okay, well, what else did God want? He says, he wants me to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. She goes, then she goes, what? If you go back to Egypt, they're going to arrest you and execute you. You're a dead man. You know, this God can't be very bright. Did you explain it to him? <laughs> And he says, well, I, I tried to. And she says, what'd you say? He said, well, I said, well, you know, who am I to go talk to Pharaoh? I'm a nobody. You know, that's not something I should do. And she goes, well, so he, he got that, that you aren't important enough to go talk to Pharaoh? And he goes, no. Well, what did he say? He said, he'd go with me. God's going with you to talk. What does he need you for? He didn't say that. How do you know that you're not just hallucinating the whole thing? He said, well, he said he'd give me a sign. Oh, good. What's the sign? He said that after I go to Pharaoh and get him to let my, his people go and then bring all the Hebrews out of bondage in Egypt and bring them all the way back here to Mount Horeb, that we get to worship him at this mountain. She goes, that's assuming you're not dead, right? <laughs> he goes, well, yeah, kind of. And she said, you really think this is... What God were you talking to? And he said, well, I asked him that. I asked him what his name was, and, and, and he told me. He said, what did he tell you? He said, I'll be whoever darn well want to be. Because that's sort of a modern translation of it. But it's, I will be who I will be. I am who I am. Now, John Huston, in the movie with Charlton Heston, made it much more dramatic, deep voice, I am who I am. But actually, it was... Best saying, I'll be whoever I darn well want to be. I'm God, not you. You know, for crying out loud, I'll be whoever I want to be. Right now, I want to be a bush. You know, later on, I might want to be something else. You don't get to figure out who I am. And even if you tried, you wouldn't get it. So just tell them that I am who I am. And she goes, let me see if I got this right. Make sure I got this whole scenario. You were tending the sheep. 
a bush talked to you who was God, and it was on fire, but it didn't burn up, told you to take off your shoes and to go back to Egypt where you're going to be murdered and bring the Israelites out, but he's going to go with you, and the sign's going to be that you're going to make it, and it's going to be okay. And furthermore, his name is, I'll be whoever I darn well want to be. Yeah, that's about it. So I got to leave in the morning. That's probably pretty much a lot like what had happened. And you might wonder what that has to do with pride. Well, Moses really typifies the kind of pride that permeates our lives in this. First of all, it's a sense of false humility that he tries. You know, he goes, well, who am I? I mean, I'm nobody. You know, I'm, I'm not important. You know, how would I do that, God? And do you notice that God doesn't tell him who he is? To God, that's not even relevant who he is. You know, why, why, would, I, why would he pick Moses of all people? What, what's so, that, that's not it. What's relevant to God is, don't worry, I'll be with you. So what you do isn't the thing. It's what I'm going to do. That's the thing. And then the second thing he did when he, when he said, who am I? And got that kind of response that God said, it's not about you, it's about me. Then he says, well, who are you? You know, and that's the other side of pride is this sort of arrogance about that I want to understand exactly what it is that you're getting me into. You know, why in the world should anybody in Egypt believe me when I go tell them that? They're not going to believe me, so I need some control over the situation. I need the facts. You can't expect me to go do this job if you're not going to give me the facts. And God basically says, tough. Too bad. And that epitomizes the way we are with pride. All too often we you know, envelop ourselves in a false sense of humility that when God wants us to do something, well, you know, I'm not really worthy of that, and as though you ever could be anyway, or I'm not really educated enough to do that, or I'm not really uh, talented enough to do that. And the problem with that whole approach is that it's still prideful. You know, you may be thinking that you're being humble, but it's not real humility because it's all about you. Not about God. You know, because God can make you do anything, God can have you do anything he wants to. Jesus even said that when he was in Jerusalem, well, if I got the people to be quiet, the rocks and stones themselves would sing. Well, if God can do that, why do we need to worry about how talented we are or what our abilities are to do anything? You know, and all too often what happens is it ends up being about us. And the other side of it is that we want control over the situation. You know, we, we might be willing to follow God, but we would like some details. Exactly what is this going to look like if I do this? How's this going to work out? Could you give me a, a business plan so I can go over it? How do I know it's going to work? Why should I risk and, and we forget that this is the same God who said, let there be light. And there was. You know, he doesn't, you know, need our help. We need his. And we tend to forget that we are the creature and he is the creator. That he is the one who is in charge. That it's his universe. That it's his life. We would not have life if God had not breathed it into us. And yet all too often, it ends up being about us. Now, if you don't believe that's you, think back when you went shopping um, for clothes last time. Who decided what clothes you were going to buy? 
or when you bought a car, who decided, <laughs> it's just my wife, <laughs> who, de who decided, who decided what car you were going to buy, or who decided what house you were going to buy, or who decided who you were going to marry, or date, or anything else? You go, well, I did. It's about me. Well, no. That'd be like if you were a woodworker and you made a table and you're supposed to have four legs on it and the table goes, I don't really want four legs. I think I want to be a two-legged table. You know, I think two-legged tables are unique. There aren't a lot of them around. It'd be really cool. I mean, you'd be going, well, that's ridiculous. You can't be a table if you're going to be... I'm, I'm the one making the table. You don't get to decide. Now, you might think that's just preposterous, but do you really think that we're... Compared to God, is our infinite wisdom any better than a table is compared to us? Probably not. And so all too often, we decide what we want to do. You know, we even ask our kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, what difference does that make? I mean, why is that relevant? Did they create the universe so they get to decide or what? Shouldn't we really be saying, have you been trying to figure out what God wants you to do when you grow up? Because he's the one who made them. You know, and all too often what we do is we focus on us. It's all about us. But in reality, it's not. Because honestly, if Moses had gone into Egypt under his own power, it would have been a disaster. But with God, even the impossible becomes possible. And we've seen examples of people who have done this throughout history, even you know, preposterous kinds of things that God has wanted people to do. Um, when uh, St. Francis of Assisi, everybody know who St. Francis is? Uh, St. Francis of Assisi is my patron saint because my birthday is his uh, saint's day, and we're really close, so I just call him Francis of Assisi, and uh, we get along well. <laughs> but... Uh, and, and Francis was, I mean, he was rich, and he was good-looking, and he was strong, and he knew how to dress. He knew how to throw the best parties. I mean, he was like the life of the town, and he looked really good in his military uniform. I mean, he, he was his, the apple of his father's eye, everything you could ever hope a son would turn out to be. And so he goes to church one day, and, and he hears this lesson being read. And then in the middle of the lesson being read, he hears God speak to him. And God says, just as the lesson said, sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. So he gets up. He goes outside, and he looks, well, let's see, here's my gold. Here, you don't have very much. Here, here take this. And then he sees somebody else coming along who's really, you know, really kind of cold. And so he takes off his cloak and gives it here, take, take my coat. Then somebody else comes along and their clothes are all ragged. So he pulls off his shirt and says, here, take this. And somebody else has come along and they've gotten some old, you know, ragged pants that don't really fit. And, and so he takes off his pants and gives them to him and his shoes, everything. And by the time he goes home, he's in his loincloth. And that's it. So he gets home and his father says, what happened? Did you get robbed? I mean, what, what's the matter? He goes, oh, no, no, I'm okay. He goes, well, why are you naked? He goes, oh, well, I was at church, and God told me to give away everything I had to the poor. He goes, son, you can't listen to the preacher like that. I mean, he says lots of things that just don't work in the real world. And, you know, he says things, and it sounds good, but you can't be listening to him. You know, look at him. He's a nobody. You know, don't, don't do that anymore. Francis says, but, but 
He goes, no buts. I don't want you to listen to that preacher. He goes, but, but, because it wasn't the preacher. He said, the preacher never said a word. And so he goes up and says, now go upstairs and get dressed again. He says, what are you doing tonight? Well, I was going back out. Okay, so he goes upstairs, and, and then he fills his pockets with all this jewelry and all the stuff he can find, and he goes back out, and guess what he does? He starts giving it away to everybody. By the time he gets home again, he's naked. His father said, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, I heard God, and he told me to give it away. I want you to stop it. Stop it right now. I'm not putting up with this. Well, this went on for a week or so, and every time Francis went out, he came back with nothing. And so his father is going to put a stop to that. That's it. You know, this isn't happening. So he locks him in his room upstairs so he can't get out. You know what, what Francis did? He climbed out the window, but he didn't just climb out the window. He climbed out the window with everything he could carry in his sack <laughs> to give it away too. His father, when he got home, he's naked again. His father's just livid. He said, what am I going to do with you? So his father thinks, well, maybe, maybe it's just a phase or something you know, he's going through. Maybe he'll get over it. Except that as time went on, he started running out of his own stuff to give away. So guess what he did? He started taking stuff out of the house. <laughs> Here goes the silver. <laughs> Everything just starts leaving. And so his father finally gets fed up with it and disowns him. Just kicks him out, says, you can't be here anymore. You've gone crazy. I can't do this. You're out. Don't ever come back. And so now what's Francis going to do? He's got nothing. And so he's out there, and guess what he comes up with? He's going to have to beg people to help him. Now, you had to figure he had a lot of friends, and there were a lot of people he'd help, so he'd probably do pretty well, right? So he goes out and, and asks people for help, and some of his friends come along, and they give him a coin. One of his friends gives him a coat and all that. Guess what he does with that? He gives it all away. He gets hungry, and he's begging for food. He takes a little morsel of the bread, and he gives the rest away. You know, somebody gives him some wine to drink. He gives it away. And ultimately, it probably caused his death, from now malnourishment. He didn't die. I mean, he was fairly young when he died because he was always giving things away. And yet, we know who St. Francis is, don't we? Now, let me ask you, how many of you know who Alessandro, and Alessandro Borgia, Borgia is? It's hard to say his name. What was he like? But, but what was his position? Yeah, with a lot of money and a lot of power. If you'd asked anybody in that area at that time, they would have known who he was. Because, I mean, they would have known as well as people know who the President of the United States is. He was powerful. And he was going to go down in history as important. He was one of those people who loved to commission Michelangelo to do fancy things. But nobody's ever heard of him, have they? Now, it's not that Alessandro was rich and Francis was poor that was the point. It was who was it about? You see, being rich or poor is not good or bad. It's just what you are. The real question is, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? You know, even Paul says, for those who are wealthy, let them be generous in the Lord. 
you know, it doesn't have anything to do with, with your status in life. It has to do with are you doing what God gave you to do? Are you living the life that God created for you to live? Are you fulfilling the purpose 